on their side in order to be delivered from their enemies. And nowhere is that more true than in the book of Daniel. Nowhere is that more true than in Daniel chapter 3. So yesterday we began looking at the book of Daniel, and we saw how God gave Daniel wisdom to serve wisely in King Nebuchadnezzar's government. In spite of the king's anger, Daniel was able to share the gospel, the good news about the coming king, Jesus, clearly and boldly. But now within the span of one chapter, one chapter later, we see a very different approach. In the face of King Nebuchadnezzar's pride and his anger, the three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, or as we better know them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are waiting it out, twiddling their thumbs, waiting, but being defiant, conscientiously objecting to what the king tells them to do. So let me set the scene for you. Here we are. Our story left off, remember Daniel interpreted this fantastic dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. And in the dream, God revealed to King Nebuchadnezzar that his kingdom wouldn't last forever. Another king would come after him. And ultimately, God's forever kingdom would crush Babylon and every other human dominion. But somehow, Nebuchadnezzar missed the point of the message. In fact, remember the first thing Daniel said? He said, you, O king, you are the head of gold on the statue. And I think King Nebuchadnezzar heard that and then fell asleep and didn't listen to the rest of the interpretation because he remembers that he is the head of gold. And he makes a decision, I am going to build a 90-foot tall, nine basketball goals tall, statue, nine foot wide, almost a basketball goal wide, statue, giant gold statue that looks just like me. Not me, like Nebuchadnezzar. He said, it looks, it's going to make it look just like me. Okay, so Nebuchadnezzar was the mightiest king in the world. And one day the king said, build a giant golden statue. Make it look exactly like me. Then the king gathered all of his officials. He summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all of the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the gigantic golden image that he had set up. He says, come to the dedication of the image that looks just like me. Next, the king gathers all of his musicians. Grab your horns, your flutes, your zithers. Any of you ever played a zither in band? No. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe a guitar. I don't know. Uh, gather, grab your horns, your flutes, your zithers, your harps, your bagpipes. I want you to play a song. I, ma- I can imagine the song was about him. You think? A song about me. Then the king made a law. Whenever you hear my song, everyone, all the peoples from every language and every nation and every tribe that we, the Babylonians, have conquered, everyone must bow down and worship my golden statue. (sighs) The king really cared about himself, didn't he? He did. He wanted people to know that he was the greatest king in the world. We all like fan mail. We all like to hear that we're the greatest. But King Nebuchadnezzar took it 
way too far. He took the extra step and he said, worship me. Bow down and worship me. We've been learning in the morning about King Josiah and how he tore down the idols of Baal and Ashtoreth and Molech. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar wasn't even worried so much about his god Marduk. He wanted people to worship and follow him. Follow him. Worship him. And he wanted it so badly that he started threatening the people. He said, whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace, a furnace filled with blazing fire. Can you imagine what those three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, must have been thinking? How do you think they felt when they heard the king's order? I, what would you have done if they, you were in their shoes? Would you be afraid? I, I would be afraid. You know, sometimes when we face people, enemies who don't like us, who are, or who bully us, or who, who say mean things about us, or in, in their case, mean things about God, wrong things, encourage them to, to do wrong things, it's hard to stand up for what you believe. It's hard to stand up when everyone around you is doing the wrong thing. I mean, even think about this. There were other Jewish people there in Babylon. There were other Jewish people serving in the palace. And yet only three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refused to bow down to this golden statue. All of their friends went and served Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue, but not these three guys. You remember from, this, from our morning lessons that God punished his people for worshiping other gods. God had already allowed the Israelites to be captured, the uh, people of Judah to be captured by Babylon and taken into exile, taken into slavery. God wanted his people to know that it's better to worship only him than to bow down to pretend gods. And God would use these three close friends to teach his people a lesson. And here's the lesson. We can stand because God stands with us. I want you to say that with me. We can stand because God stands with us. Say it one more time, a little louder. We can stand because God stands with us. Now, everyone in the kingdom bowed down and worshipped King Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue. Everyone, that is, except for three brave friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And some of the king, then some of the king's advisors, and you'll remember these guys, right? They're the ones who had the dream book, who could interpret the dream. They're the ones who King Nebuchadnezzar had threatened to kill and turn their houses into piles of rubble unless they read his mind and interpreted his dream. Remember those guys last night? The magicians, the enchanters, the, all of those officials? Well, tonight, it seems like they forgot about that because they were jealous of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
and they decided, we'll go and tell on them. So they run to the king, those guys, those jealous guys. And they, they said this to King Nebuchadnezzar, oh, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. And when King Nebuchadnezzar heard this, he was calm. Right? No. <laughs> we know how he acted. He got a little bit angry. Face turned red, seam out of the ears. And King Nebuchadnezzar said, what? Bring them to me. I want to talk to these three guys. So he brought the men in to his throne room, and he said, look, boys, I'll give you one more chance. Now, when I, he said, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then, what God will be able to save you? We know the answer to that question, don't we? Our God is able to save them. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew the answer to that question too. They knew that they could stand against King Nebuchadnezzar because God stood with them. He was with them. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, we don't need to defend ourselves in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace... The God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Those men were very brave. And at that moment, the king was so angry about it that he ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than normal. He had his strongest soldiers bind up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the furnace. Now, it's important to know, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were men who lived a long time ago, and they lived in the Middle East, and they dressed like Middle Eastern men. They had long tunics and robes, undershirt, long tunic and robe they wore, and then they, they would have worn turbans like the people there. They wrapped their, their head in a, in a turban with a wrap around their head, and so they were, they were dressed in a lot of clothing. Comes up in just a second. 
And so he had his strongest soldiers bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with ropes and throw them into the furnace. And the flames were so hot that the strong soldiers who were walking them up to the furnace died from the heat. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, wearing their shirts, their trousers, their robes, and their turban wrapped around their heads, were each thrown down into the furnace of blazing fire. And at this point in the story, I imagine Nebuchadnezzar starting to cool off his temper just a little bit. (sighs) Because his plan, right, is finally working out. I've I've finally accomplished it. Everyone in the kingdom has bowed to me, and the three guys who didn't, I've gotten rid of them. And he sits back. And he looks into the furnace, and he sees something, and immediately he stands up, and he looks at his official who's sitting next to him, and he says, hey, I have a question for you. Didn't we throw three guys into the furnace? And the official said, yeah, three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, one, two, three. He said, I see four men unbound meaning their ropes had burned off they didn't have the ropes tied that they bound them up and tied them together the ropes were gone they'd burned up in the fire walking around unharmed and there's a fourth man with them and that fourth man he's like a son of the gods in fact It was an angel of the Lord, perhaps maybe even the Son of God himself who came down and was there with those men. Because we can stand up because God stands with us. So Nebuchadnezzar calls out to them, come up, climb up out of the fire. How can this be? Come up, get out. And they climb up out of the furnace and they stand before them, before him. And their trousers and their, their long tunics and their turbans wrapped around their head are just fine. None of their clothes are burned, not even singed a bit. And they, here's the amazing thing, they don't even smell like smoke. God completely rescued them from the fire because he was there with them. He stood with them. What does this story teach us? You know, we're like those three friends. We face all kinds of enemies. And and you remember the three ways that Israel dealt with their enemies. The first was, remember, to wait. And the second was to, to speak up. And the third was to raise your sword and fight and fight. So to, to wait, to speak, to fight. Well, many years later, during the time of the Roman Empire, Jesus came along. And in Jesus' day, God's people still had an enemy. Their big enemy then was the Roman Empire. The Romans were crushing God's people with slavery, with poverty, with taxes, and with temptation to sin. And as always, many of God's people were praying that the Lord would rescue them and defeat their enemy. But how would God do it? How would God save them? And there were three different ways that people thought God would save them. Way number one, the Pharisees. 
The Pharisees loved people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They loved to think about Moses and the people of Israel in Egypt. Because they said, all we need to do is wait, twiddle our thumbs, be holy, live really holy lives, and then God will come and he will rescue us and he will save us. But the problem is, they were waiting and God was not with them. And what happens is, when you wait and you try to live a holy life, but you don't have God with you, is you make up more ways to be holy. You start making up extra rules that you've got to follow, more things that are in God's law, extra things to make you separate and different from your enemies. And so they, they made lots of different rules that they should keep, some that were unfair, because they're not fair, you see, right? And, and they waited, and they waited, but God wasn't with them. There's a second group. Who were they? Not Philistines, nope. Yes, the Sadducees. And do you know what the Sadducees wanted to do? They wanted to speak. They loved people like Daniel, who served in the government, and Esther, who spoke up to the king. They wanted to be good friends with the Romans, to hang out with them, to go to their parties, to buddy up with them. And they thought, in this way, we will help to save our people. By becoming friends with the Romans. The problem with the Sadducees was that God wasn't with them when they were speaking. And so instead of truly speaking the truth to the Roman powers, they compromised the truth. And they gave up on the true worship of the one true God. In fact, the Sadducees stopped believing that God raised the dead. And if there's anything that will make you sad, it's not believing that there's a resurrection. And that was the Sadducees. That was way number two. There were other people in Israel who wanted to defeat Rome a third way. What was the third way? To fight. There were, there were guys called zealots, and sometimes they had success. You may in school have read about the Maccabees and, and why the the Jewish people celebrate Hanukkah today. Sometimes they would have a little bit of success driving the oppressors back for a little while. But most of the time, God wasn't with the zealots. And they went to war and they just lost. They were just defeated again and again by the Romans. And then Jesus came. Jesus came and he brought a brand new approach for dealing with your enemies. It was a revolutionary one. I would say that it's a topsy-turvy, upside-down, loop-de-loop kind of way of dealing with your enemies. Jesus said, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who despitefully use you. Love them. Show them love. And that's the way we're to love our enemies. When someone bullies you, it's not that you don't get out of there and tell an adult you get help. But you forgive them and you love them. When someone says something unkind, you 
forgive them and you're kind back to them. Jesus said, love your enemies. And there's only one way to love your enemies. And that's to remember that because of sin, because of our brokenness, because of our inability to keep God's law, because of our failure, some maybe the failures of loving our plans more than God's plan that we talked about last night. Because of our failures, the truth is we are God's enemies. We're God's enemies, just like Nebuchadnezzar was, just like the Philistines were. And yet Jesus loved you even when you were still his enemies. The Bible says this. He says, when we were utter, the Bible says this. It says, Apostle Paul writes, when we were utterly helpless, Jesus Christ came right on time, at just the right time, and he died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die, even for a good person, even for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us, even while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God Because our God, the Lord Jesus Christ, has made us his friends. Let me tell you, this week we've been uh, memorizing Deuteronomy 30, 14. And we're not going to chant it right now, but it, it says, But the word is near you, in your mouth. His word is very near you, in your mouth, and in your heart, so that you can do it. The amazing thing about that word, it's not just the word of his law. It's, it's not just that he gives you his law, his commands, so that you can, you can obey those commands. But the New Testament tells us that the word it's talking about is the word of Jesus Christ. That he came to be with you, just as God was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. He came to be with you through each and every day of your life. That word, Jesus Christ, is near you. And Paul goes on to say, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Maybe tonight you're aware of your sin. Maybe tonight you're aware, I'm an enemy of God. I'm totally turned against him. But tonight, you want to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. I want to give you the opportunity to do that by turning and and going to one of your church leaders that's here with you and telling them, maybe even during the next song, I want to trust Jesus to save me. I know that I'm far away from him. I have a hard time loving my enemies. But I want to receive his love so that he can change me and that I can love them. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, and he died a death 
that paid the punishment for our sins so that if we trust him, we can be saved. If you've never done that before, boys and girls, please take time to do that tonight. Let me pray for you. Father, I give thanks um, that you have shown us how to deal with our enemies. And it is to be with you and to love them the way that you have first loved us. Thank you, Jesus, for your great love that you've shown to us. Thank you, Father, for sending your son, Jesus Christ, that we might be saved. Help each boy and girl in this room to trust you. And if they have already believed, help them to keep on believing because of what they've heard from your word tonight. For Christ's sake, amen. Let's stand quietly. We're going to continue to sing and worship the Lord tonight. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. That he should give his only son. To make a wretch's treasure. Great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one. Bring many sons to hold. 